Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hey everybody, welcome to East-West Draftcast. After a long hiatus for us, we are back and we are here to talk some magic with you. I am Greg Smith, I'm one of your hosts. Joining me on the line is your other typical host, Jeff McDonald. What's going on, Jeff? Best host in the East Coast. (laughs) And uh, joining us today, we have a special guest. uh, The best host on the West Coast, maybe? Whoa. Whoa. Tristan Sean Drake. Tristan Sean Gregson, TSG. What's up, dude? I don't know what you're buttering me up for, Greg, uh, but I'll take it. Uh, I, I'd like to think of you guys as kind of like my local podcast, which is hard to say because you guys are East-West DraftCast, but uh, you guys, we all... I'm still West. But, yeah, you, you, we all kind of were playing Magic in the same neighborhood. It was kind of like ships passing in the night, and we rarely ever meet up with you guys. Uh, you know, I remember when you first kind of made it on the podcasting scene, and, and I, I know people that knew who you guys were, the work you were doing, so it's it's nice to finally be here, because uh, I was just I was just buttering you guys up before we recorded, that uh, you know, you're, you're strong in what you do, your offerings are uh, very quality, and I really hope you guys can uh, reach a larger audience one of these days, because I like what you're doing. Yeah, I hope so. Um, it would probably help if we recorded more. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency is key, definitely in my experience. Uh, it could even feel like a job if it's your hobby. But if you're, if you're putting it out every week, I've met a lot of people where it's like, man, you know, I, I got to make the same commute every week or I sit in the same, you know, uh, graveyard shift job and I want someone to listen to. And when I have your stuff all the time, I'm definitely into it. And when I don't, I got to listen to someone else's crap and, you know, just put it out there. So for me, I remember those people when I try to be like, yeah, I don't want to go do it today. I got nothing to talk about. No one really cares. Yeah. Uh, but you, you guys draft like, on the regular, you've always got new new fun stories. You could just have like story hour with uh, Greg and Jeff, right? One of these times. Yeah, the part of the problem with that lately, and this is the reason we haven't been recording as much over the past three or four weeks, is because I haven't really been had time to play. Uh, I've been moving. I just got into my new place, and this is like so much better because I'm on like an internet connection that I have control over, not just like the internet from upstairs at the landlady's house, you know. And uh, so hopefully no more drop calls, hopefully better sound quality altogether. Like, I'm really stoked to be in this new spot. And now, like, not only will I be able to play Magic Online without worrying that it's going to crash on me, like, any minute, I can maybe even start streaming. So, yeah, all this stuff hopefully will come together and mean more East-West DraftCast content going forward. And, um, yeah, pretty pretty excited about that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm talking about a, a Santa Cruz local problem. I, I know I, I had that exact scenario. We're living in somebody's rickety place, and the landlady's like, "I'll give you the Wi-Fi." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just got like a modem from downstairs, just like with a cable up through the outside of the building. Those were those were the days, the Stone Age. Um, anyway, today on the podcast, we've got uh, kind of an interesting topic, and this is something that we were discussing before the show how deep we want to go on it because it is kind of a like a nebulous theory or idea. Um, but we're going to talk about the value over a replacement card, or Vork. And uh, after that, we got a little set review game. It's been a while. Jeff, are you excited? I'm very excited. I spent a while on this one. Oh, hold on a sec, guys. Someone's at my door, maybe? Hold on. <laughs> no problem. It's time to play the uh, the 50s television network. Uh, we'll, we'll <sighs> the difficulties music. Yeah. 
Hopefully Greg will just edit it seamlessly. That's not what your audience wants. Your audience wants this uh, unique, uh, organic experience where it's like guys talking about magic when some random hippie comes to your door in Aptos <laughs> and asks you for something or about something. I mean, the, yeah. day, the day and age we live in, who even comes to your door? Sarah. I don't know. I had a knock on the door earlier today, and it freaked the hell out of me, and, and it was just FedEx. But I was like, holy crap, who's at the door? Neighbors don't drop in in the 21st century. <laughs> no. And UPS and FedEx are so automated, you know when they're showing up. Right. I, I actually forgot I ordered something, so. that That's the life right there. That's exactly what you want. Oh, things I like at my door without trying? <laughs> Man. I have a crazy neighbor, apparently. Ooh. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> a little too loud at 10 in the morning? What was the issue? No, uh, we had some folks over last night, and uh, there's a car parked in front like in front of someone's house. Like, not in their driveway, but like, it, the, hey, it's hard for me to get my car out of my driveway when there's a car there. And it's like, oh, okay, gotcha. You, um, you do realize this is all podcasting gold, right? You can't cut this. Yeah, I was wondering. I was going to ask, did you guys say anything <laughs> we, of merit we, in we there? Fill, we filled the dead air beautifully. Okay. <laughs> the only thing that's getting dead is this conversation about how hot we were 30 seconds ago. Oh, damn. Sorry. That sucks. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll fix it in post. It's the, it's the joys of living in Central California, everybody. It's a wonderful place, but a lot of hippies nestled there, and sometimes they have weird problems that you have to deal with when you wake up in the morning. That's right. All right. So, main topic time. Just best segue ever. Um, I, I had this idea of something called VORC, V-O-R-C, the value over replacement card. This is a direct corollary to a baseball statistic called value over replacement player. And the concept is pretty easy. It's that for any given uh, format or mana cost, there's a baseline replacement level value card. And we want, or I want to be able to measure the value of other specific cards relative to that uh, that replacement level card. Now, hopefully this makes sense, but yeah. if, if it doesn't, um, please email us or whatever, and, and you can find all that info at the end of the show. But, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fess up. I didn't do all my homework last night from everything you guys sent me, so I will be your audience in this particular example where <laughs> I am mildly familiar with sports statistics and enjoy sports and enjoy magic, and you guys are gonna show me how those things interconnect because I, I think I know what you're getting at. We're gonna try to um. Look at things not just in a vacuum when card evaluating, but uh, understand how the value of things shift. And I don't know which part of the work that stands for, but I'm sure we'll I'll get it by the by the time we're done here today. Yeah. So essentially, <clears throat> we need to establish a baseline for um, some set of circumstances, and typically that is like the format you're talking about. And this is one of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on TSG is because we can talk about cube. And I know you're a cube enthusiast to say the least. Yeah. So uh, a card like, let's take, um, what's Jeff, what's that red card that makes 1-1s that you really liked in M14? War Marshal. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Sorry, the card we were talking about. Uh, uh, the, young, I don't remember. Young Pyromancer, is that there it? There it is, yeah. So let's talk about that card first. Like, Young Pyromancer is a card. It's a playable card. It's a, it's a by most accounts, good card, right? Now, in M14 it has a certain value when you draft it. Now, if you put that card into a cube, that value is probably going to go down, right? 
So let, let's start with, let's say we gave it a baseline, that, that in, in a vacuum grade that we all like to give to all of our cards. So we'll say that in M, I, I didn't do the research, you guys know this better than I did. We'll say in M14, Young Pyromancer would be rated a, a B, for example, um, on the, the classic North American grading scale. And then you bring it to Cube, and now you're already asking with a baseline, well, does it, does it get a better grade? Does it get a worse grade just in the vacuum? That's before applying your uh, Vork system, correct? Right, and Vork is just kind of like tells you what the difference is, but between like replacement levels. So if in M thirteen or M fourteen it's a it's a B, it's an above average. Your replacement level is probably going to be somewhere in the like D plus to C range, depending upon how powerful the format is. Um, like in general, a replacement level card is exactly that. It's something that is kind of a throwaway, but like a readily available card in most situations. So we're talking like 23rd cards, sideboard cards. Um, and we could also look at it based upon mana cost. So like, uh, like the replacement level value of a two, two or of a two mana creature is basically a grizzly bear, right? You would expect to get a two, two for two mana. Depending in, on in, in today's day and age of magic. Those are my expectations. Yes. Yeah. Right. But that applies to, typical limited formats. Now, if we talk about cube, if you spend two mana on a creature, you're going to want more than a 2-2. Two -two. <laughs> you better. And, and, and that, I mean, we're immediately evaluating for cube becomes uh, so much more difficult because, in theory, you're dealing in a world of extreme uniqueness. Um, the, the classic cube format is a singleton format, and you, in many ways, would hope that Every card is so different. You can't just mash two together and say, well, okay, it's it's obviously we're upgrading in, in this front. We need to make the move. But at the same time, uh, you hit something really on the head, which is, to me, redundancy is important in cube because you want a real limited format where it's not just like, well, how do I evaluate the difference between Hero of Blade Hold and Academy Rector and a Maria Angel? Like, how do those cards work differently um, despite having the same casting costs? So... It's, it's harder, and I think that it's more important to understand. So a card like Young Pyromancer, okay, well, is it a Hearth Kami? Well, is a Hearth Kami just a Torch Fiend? Is a, is a Torch Fiend how related to a Kargan Dragon Lord is that? So a card like Young Pyromancer, when I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm not sure how to apply the Vork system yet, and you guys are going to teach me, uh, but it's like, okay, it's going to do, it does something very unique in cube. Now it has the same kind of um, power toughness to casting cost ratio that I would have. I would expect out of an aggressive creature that I would expect out of the creatures I've mentioned previously. So right there, it's already kind of winning. It's an upgrade on it. But now I have to evaluate something different. Where uh, what is it doing differently than those other cards, and how am I going to take advantage of that? Does that does, uh, can I can how do I evaluate that with the Vork system? Yeah, Jeff and I had a kind of spirited discussion over Gchat or email or something about this specific card versus a Mog War Marshal in our own cube. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, Jeff, do you want to talk about kind of where you stood on that and why? Because this this kind of discussion is where I think Vork comes from, is the, like, put two cards head-to-head -head and which one has, like, the better average case, which one has more, like, potential upside, stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, if we're looking at Vork in terms of a format like Cube, um, I think that your argument wins, Greg, for this for this one. Uh, the War War Marshal versus Pyromancer in terms of the baseline of on the average, the War Marshal is going to be more useful in more decks probably because because the Pyromancer requires 
require something to work. Um, so it becomes more narrow just by that case. Uh, it has a higher best case scenario, obviously. Um, and so, and it's more unique. And that's, that was my argument for it. Although the Vork in the entire format might be lower. I think if you're talking archetype, like moving even more narrow into looking at Vorks of ar- archetypes, it's higher for specific, like much higher for specific ones. Right. Like, so, yeah, go ahead. Like, I'm sorry. Like blue, red or mono red burn or things like that. Yeah. So like that's the ultimate like trap of this whole discussion is that context is everything. And we can talk about Vork as far as constructing a cube goes in choosing between a Mog War Marshal and a Young Pyromancer, and that's one discussion. But then we can also twist it around and say, like, in a draft, and I already have X, Y, and Z in my pile. Like, if I already have, uh, I don't know, an Unsummon and uh, a Rift Bolt and something else, like some other Sorcerer or Instant, which card would you rather have? You'd rather have the Young Pyromancer, right? Yeah. So, I but, would. like, and then beyond that, you can... Uh, apply this idea to deck construction once you have your entire pile which card is worth more and then you talk about in a game like which one would you rather draw given a specific scenario so i mean ultimately i want to get across that this vork thing is not like a be-all end-all rating system and we know from playing for so long that whenever you try and give ultimatums like that and make things black and white when you're trying to analyze magic the gathering you're doing it wrong like, context is king. You have to be able to look at these things through different lenses uh, and, and shift your evaluations all the time. Right. Uh, but, so okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about just, like, um, a very simple case. Let's talk about, um, again, like an in-a-vacuum evaluation. And, and just to, I kind of want to bring this back to a general, uh, I don't want to say this, just like a way to conceptualize Vork with tangible numbers. Um, so let's say you're going to pay three mana for a creature, just a, a vanilla creature. What would you expect that creature's power toughness, toughness to be in your typical like set of magic, like M14 or uh, when Theros comes out? If you pay three mana for a creature, what's the, the baseline? What's the replacement level power and toughness for that? Now, in some, ex- Go ahead. I'm expecting a girth of five. Yeah. Like, so like two three three two, one, that's four. like the average case. Oh yeah, yeah one four. There you go. Um, yeah. So then when you when you add up that power and toughness and you get to something like six total, like if you get a three three for three mana, like that's better than average, right? Definitely better than your replacement level. And so you can see with the 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 actual vork there, the value over replacement card is plus one plus zero or plus zero plus one, one way or the other, right? And and that's that's your tangible benefit. Now this gets a lot more difficult for like non creatures and what's the value of something like flying or death touch. But theoretically, we could calculate some sort of number. Like if we if we started a scale, you know, and said, okay, replacement level is zero. Does this card have a vork that's positive or negative, and how much? Um, in the case of a three three for three, the vork is plus one plus zero or plus zero plus one. Relative it's, already, to it's already starting ahead of the curve, so it already has an advantage. It's, it's not when factoring its vork, you don't have to um, attribute modifiers based on can't block or you know you lose life when it enters a battlefield, which would probably be 
negative attributes to your Vork. Right. Yeah, so that's kind of just one more general way to think about it. Now, I want to talk about some of the, the lenses we can look through when we apply this concept. So how about just during a draft, right? Um, where do, like, we can talk about a card that is good, you know, but what if you're looking at a card that is, if you're looking at two good cards, one of them costs two mana, one of them costs six mana. Like, how do we apply this concept with different converted mana costs? Because it's hard to, like, differentiate the cards head-to-head like that because you're casting them at different times of the game. Right, and it's also, extre- like like everything, extremely important on context. Um, if this is a format where, you know, a two-cost thing is, like, very important and six is not, say, gate crash draft, uh, obviously the work of the two-mana card goes up in value. Yeah, Zendikar is another good example of that, where two drops were the be-all, end-all of the format, and you just needed them uh, above all else for the most part. Right, and they were readily available, but because they were so important to the format, uh, just the fact that it was just whenever you saw it, you had to take one, unfortunately. There, there was never an upper limit for them, unlike other formats. Right, where like a five or a six drop, there's always going to be an upper limit, no matter what format. So that's something to take into account. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like getting caught in this uh, these notes, and I'm I, I'm leaning a little too heavily on them. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit more just about. Uh, I'd like to be more specific because it's easy just to say, oh, a two two for two, or like a, a six mana card. You know, like that's not really helping anybody. Um, so can we apply this to like? Um, I mean, have have either of you drafted any M14 yet? Um, not yet. <laughs> I will not be doing so. No. I mean, you, you. I think, I think that you can apply to the basics of a core set. I mean, we can, you can look at kind of your experiences with M10 through M13 already, and looking at the spoilers of M14. Because, because core set not only is the most relevant uh, set right now, but it's also the easiest to apply these things to because there aren't a lot of. Um, very overly elaborate keywords that might, you know, greatly affect our evaluations. Um, you know, just just the differences between Griffin Sentinels and Windrakes, or Windrakes and um, Air Servants, or uh, Yavimea Worms and uh, Brindle Boars. Like these these kind of things. I mean, although it's not particularly for M14, we all understand the base concepts for corsets, right? Yeah, I think you're right. And um, with that in mind, I'm just going to throw two M14 cards out there, and they're both common, they're both blue, they both fly. Uh, one of them is Messenger Drake. This is three blue-blue for a 3-3 three, three flying creature, and when it dies, draw a card. Um, and then the other card I want to look at is Nephalia Seakite, which is three blue for a 2-3 flash flying. Now, just gut reaction, which of these cards do you like more? Seakite, yeah. Okay, now, what I want to be able to do with Vork is quantify why that card is better in your mind. Uh, is it all about the mana cost? Is it about it's the about flash? and card advantage, tricky? yeah. I mean, card the Messenger Drake provides some form of card advantage as well, right? It does replace itself. It does, but uh, it doesn't... It doesn't 
do the card advantage at the same time, which matters. To so me. you're you're saying, Jeff, that you get value out of the sea kite when you cast it, in theory. Yeah, and it's also affecting the board in two ways instead of one way. How's I mean, that? this is all assuming that you're ambushing something. I should say. I don't even think you need to go as far as, like, you're not casting this card until you're eating a 2-2. I think you can say that you're casting this card with your opponent using their the entirety of their turn, not knowing it's going to be on the battlefield, and not being able to answer it in such a way. I mean, it helps that the N14 format is littered with uh, enchantment-based removal that this card kind of uh, circumvents for a certain degree. So I think you're getting a lot of value out of it without the assumption that you're going to immediately eat your opponent's creature. Okay, so you're just saying that excess or that that knowledge that you have that your opponent doesn't have is what pushes the sea kite over the top. I think that helps. It's it's more. Yeah, I mean, and the mana cost obviously is a big deal as well. Now, just because it's cheaper, because it's only a single blue. Uh, what do you mean, Jeff? Uh, just because it's cheaper. Uh, generally, when cards hit five mana, um, the second colored requirement is not nearly as bad as most other costs. But okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, for the most part, once you're at five, if you're playing a, like a nine seven or a ten or a nine eight or a ten seven split in your basic lands, you're probably gonna have double of both color or not be far away from it. You know? Right. Um, now, how much does that extra point of power on the messenger Drake count for in your eyes? Because that's a big deal to me. Three power versus two power is pretty huge. I don't. I, I wish I knew the format better because. Uh, <laughs> It, it, is based, it is based a lot on the speed of the format, uh, because I, I think this is a great evaluation between is the format fast or is the format mid-range or is it just you know slow decks where haymakers eventually come down, uh, and and that impacts it greatly. Because if, if, if um, powers of two are what's going to win the game, then Seaskite is right where you want to be. If powers of three, which is common in these kind of like off formats where you're all of a sudden you're attacking for increments like seven instead of two, two, four, two, um, then it has a lot more value. But if you know, if you end up beating your opponent, the turn you attack in, they end up at negative, uh, a, a negative odd number. I, I know this is just like basic math stuff, but it's <laughs> not that it's not that valuable. Now, again, you're playing you're playing the color of, of instance in theory. You're playing um, the color of evasion in theory. It just seems like it's so much easier to take Sea Sky for all of these reasons that the deck where I would want the three power flyer for five has to be doing a, a lot more earlier in that game. It's probably, a, a you know, for example, like blue-green decks, I'm going to want that Messenger uh, Drake a lot more than I'm going to want that Seaskite because I've evaluated all these other cards at the bottom of my curve or have helped to get to the, the, the higher part of my curve sooner, and I need that larger evasion creature to close out the game. I think that you can look at these two cards, and regardless of format, regardless of set, you can kind of just already as Magic players who draft a lot of limited formats, start to make assumptions and put together the puzzle where it's like, oh, Sea Sky's probably really good in like a blue-white deck, as where, again, the Messenger Drake is probably like a blue-red deck or a blue-green deck. Yeah, right. and, and it, again, it's it's context. So we're talking about like the average time that you're going to be able to cast these cards. Now, like if you look at your opening hand of seven and you have three lands and four spells and one of those spells is Sea Kite, one of them is the Messenger Drake... The Sea Kite in that game is almost certainly going to be more valuable to you because, one, you're going to be able to cast it sooner, and two, you're going to be able to get somebody with it, most likely. Um, whereas if you top deck one of these cards when you already have six lands in play, yeah. the Messenger Drake might be more valuable at that point of the game. Um, 
But definitely, yeah. All of these scenarios, all of these possibilities kind of have to get lumped into one big average case. And that's the tricky part of trying to evaluate cards in this way. But it's also, I think, why it's important. Because we have to, as Magic players, like, how do I want to put this? Uh, kind of limit our expectations of cards. Like, I can look at the Drake and be like, oh, 3-3 three, three for 5, like, or, or just 3-3 three, three flying. 3-3 three, three flying is better than a 2-3 flying. But it's the little things. Like, despite the fact that Seekite is smaller, it's easier to cast. It has Flash in a color where Flash is very important, as you said, Tristan. Like, that's why these card, this card is, like, slightly better in our estimation. Uh, and, and again, this is all gut reaction. None of us have actually played in 14 at this point. Uh, but I think that's interesting that you guys were both snap choosing the sea kite, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I, it just seems like the, the bonus to power is not going to matter quite as much as the mana cost difference. Um, and then maybe the flash and the draw card are, close to equal in power um i don't know that's where i'm looking at it but okay and that and that's kind of the next level is taking each little individual aspect of the card and saying like how much more does this add to the value of what i'm getting for a specific mana cost so how much is flash worth in uh on on a four mana creature how much is when this dies draw a card how much is that worth um and Again, like I'd love to be able to say it's worth 0.5 to Vork points, you know, but I don't have the the data or or the time to create that data. You, you know? never will, yeah. But it's so again, it's not it's not specifically about putting a number on each of these cards. It's about just kind of thinking about cards in that way, where you're like, okay, this card is better than average because of X, Y, and Z, and these other fringe cases. Uh, Minus these other, like, this whole other subset of cases where it's worse than what I would expect. I don't know. Um, it, it's interesting because it, it's almost, you know, t- kind of talking about, like, virtual card advantage and trying to apply the different aspects of these cards to virtual card advantage is very similar to trying to, like, apply intangibles to baseball. It's like, uh, yeah. wh- where where is it? Where can you see it? Where can you not see it? How is it actually applying? How do you think it's applying? How is how is the ability to leave four mana up on your turn to have the option of playing an instant or an answer or the threat of having an instant or an answer va- evaluate into being able to cast a 2-3 at instant speed versus the raw seemingly raw power of a larger creature for one more mana at sorcery speed? Yeah, totally. Uh, I want to apply this now to some non-creatures because I think that's where it gets a little trickier. Um, I'm going to keep going with M14 because it is the most relevant format at this point. Um, uh, we'll, we'll move into like some cube and stuff uh, a little bit later because uh, I do want to hear more about that from you, TSG. But um, let's look at some black cards. Uh, both commons, both cost three mana, both have to be cast at sorcery speed. So uh, just up front, we know that these ha- cards have a lot of similarity. Mind Rot and Quag Sickness. Mind Rot is just classic three mana, discard two cards. Uh, Quag Sickness is three mana, uh, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets minus one, minus one for each swamp you control. Now, up front, we know that Quag Sickness is the better card, but let's talk about what, what would you expect to get for a sorcery speed three mana spell in black in a corset? Kill a creature of a medium size 
or disrupt my opponent to a small incremental amount. And isn't that exactly what both of these two cards do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about, like, again, if you had just... If you hadn't given us two cards, if you hadn't quantified the statement already, and you had just said... if I Like, for example, for you guys, like, okay, na- what would you expect of a red sorcery that costs one red and three colorless? What what Playing Magic today in a limited environment, what would you expect to get from that spell? I want Kill, a, kills a creature, probably with four toughness. Well, I mean, yeah, I, that's what I want. What I would expect would be a really bad... Artifact <laughs> land destruction spell, right? So, so in a way, you've described rating the difference between demolish and like torrent of stone. Yep. Yeah. So we just kind of like you can reverse engineer these things pretty simply because, again, in limited formats, the the job of the uh, development team is to make sure that we, we those expectations are met all the time because the limited games have to play out. Like for example, if I say if you're going to get a spell that costs a green and two colorless in a limited environment today, what would that spell do? Yeah, it would either ramp for land, or maybe it'd be a pump spell of some sort. Uh, that's, Or, I mean, a bad life gain spell. And again, like, we're talking <laughs> well, about, like, what would you Is expect? there a good life gain spell? <laughs> yes, there is. It's called, uh... Shit, I just lost it. The Innistrad one. <laughs> I thought... Wait, wait, which one are you talking about? Oh, yeah, Not to the Bone? Not the Bone. Oh, I love that card. Best life gain spell I've ever printed. Yeah. Wow. I don't even know if that's true. I think Illusions is the best one I've ever printed. Yeah. Well, the best one for me. <laughs> <laughs> that, I love that card, most. man. In that mill yourself blue green deck, you could really get people with that thing. I remember when that deck kind of rose in popularity. That was the card that nobody ever expected. You're just like, oh, I'll just gain forty life. And that, was, that was the one that no one expected that you can that you could like play outside of the very narrow mill deck that was still very very good. Like even the creature matchups could really come down to who had that. Yes, right. and, but but it, it's card evaluation. You know, obviously it 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 evolved so much during the course of that limited format. And not only did the creature decks start to hack it against the mill decks, but then the creature decks would start to play it against the other creature decks. Uh, you would go real deep. I mean, talk about talk about things that I wish you could never have enough sealed boxes of Innistrad sitting around your house. That's uh-huh. all I'm saying is you're going to want to come back to that that well every six months and uh, come and learn something from it. Yeah. But I instead, w- let's talk about the sweetness of Torn of Stone and Demolish or Mind Rot and and yeah. Quiet Sickness. <laughs> so let's let's talk about Mind Rot versus Quiet Sickness just a little bit more. Um, so. It's important to, to, like you said, these are both kind of effects we would expect for this mana cost in black. But to say which one is the replacement level card, uh, it's definitely Mind Rot. Because Mind Rot is something that if you want one in the draft, you're going to get one, you know? And there's a decent chance that if you're playing black, you'll have one of them in your sideboard as well. Uh, And therefore, it could be a card that you replace anything in your deck with at any point during an M14 draft. Um, So if we know that Mind Rod is replacement level, Quag Sickness is probably above that, right? Because it actually, like, impacts the board. It it destroys a creature, most likely, or at least nerfs it. Um, So how much better is Quag Sickness than Mind Rod? And I'm not, again, I'm not asking for a specific, like, percentage point number i'm just saying that's the question you're trying to answer when you're thinking about cards in this way if if c is the average i think each card moves in opposite directions to almost make it a two grade difference between them so for example if 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 c is your gray ogre of of black cards in this scenario 
quag sickness is already a step above that. And obviously you're going to need to take it accordingly because other players are going to evaluate as such. But at the same time, mind rod is a step below that because not only is it impactful on a less than average level, but your likelihood of just acquiring one during the draft without trying is much higher. So that's, that's kind of creating a, a larger separation and it's not about matching the two together. It's about evaluating in, in the draft overall, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I kind of want to take that little exercise uh, you did with us, Tristan, and do the same for you uh, with Cube. Uh, okay. What would you expect to get in Cube for one blue instant? Single blue? Uh, no, no. I mean a colorless and a blue. A, a colorless and a blue. For a colorless and a blue, I would want a situational counterspell. I would want a selective draw spell. Or I would want one of, like, three creatures. <laughs> <laughs> what three creatures are those? Snapcaster Mage? Snapcaster Mage, Inkwell, Looter. Sorry, Looter Ilkor. I can't yeah. say the right thing anymore. Uh, what's the third guy that costs a blue and one? Uh, oh, there's no more Juicy Apprentice anymore. I'm trying to think, uh, like... We've we've had to like jam tiny blue guys in the cube just because there are none. Like if your if your opponent opens on island, there was a time in cube where they would never cast a creature. Oh, I know what it is. It's the clone. Oh, oh. phantasmal image. Yeah, phantasmal. But that card rarely ever costs two. I think that's what lost me. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're not playing that on turn two ever. So, but but so more likely than not, again because in cube uh, and and my this is my cube. This is not universal standards. Uh, blue is the section that is two thirds spells versus one thirds creatures. Uh, so my expectations a lot more for one blue and a colorless are going to be selective draw, uh, situational counter, or a uh, utility creature. Okay. But the thing about that is all those cards you described, uh, especially the creatures, they're amazing cards, right? <laughs> Whereas... uh, they're, I mean, you know, you chose, you chose the worst color to begin with because blue's personal curve is so much higher than everybody else's. Um, you actually kind of have to water down blue, no pun intended, to bring it to the level of the rest of the colors, and you just you're never going to do that because you want to play with the best cards, and that's what's you know probably the most fun. So yes, you can't in a blue and one you can't go wrong. That's one of the best casting costs in all of cube. It's it's your impulse, it's your strategic planning, it's your time walk, it's your memory lapse, it's your yeah your miscalculation, your remand, uh, your ice, your everything. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is my everything, man. O- Ode to one in the blue by Tristan Sean Gregson. <laughs> uh, it's, if you could somehow make a deck that was just those that casting cost, I don't think you could lose. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, that might be the stipulation I go into my next cube draft with. Is just draft everything that costs a blue to colorless and see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, you could just start like, like I think like baseline level thinking is just always take the blue card. Like I don't think you can if you're playing a powered cube, which I, oh, you guys have a powered cube, correct? Yes, we do. We do. Yeah, I don't think you could really go wrong with that strategy. I think that, you know, like, hard mode is you have to take the black card. <laughs> and, like, easy mode, like, uh, don't please don't kill me, Doom 2 style, would be just take the blue card. Take the blue card and all the artifacts, yeah. Like, you can't go worse than 1-2 if your strategy is just take the blue card. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we, we can larry the shit out of that draft. You'll be just fine. <laughs> Yeah, can I tangent something really quick since we're talking about cube? Yes. Uh, I played against Etherling. Uh, this was online, so this is not powered. But I played against Etherling or Aetherling, however you want to say it. Um, and Jesus is like that card better than Morphling because yes, uh, it's a lot better than Morphling. Yes. No, I mean like better than better. better than Morphling in its heyday is what I'm saying. Uh, that card, no, no, it's no, not, probably it's not, not. No, it's not. No. Because ah, uh, I couldn't beat it, and I was doing everything. 
It was really frustrating. Part of the part of the problem with trying to combat morphling back in the day was that no one was ever like applying pressure, so you couldn't even like attempt to race. Like, yeah. Let's just, assume, let's just assume that in, that in all games involving Aetherling, your opponent has tapped four mana during their turn, and you've taken eight damage. Like in the days of Morphling, or and, and then you're attacking back, like you're applying pressure. In the days of Morphling, your opponent is dealing five to you a turn, tapping two mana, and you're doing nothing because none of your, <laughs> none of your spells have resolved. Uh, yeah. none of you, nothing you have on the board is relevant. Hopefully you also have a, a Morphling, and then it's just a stall. Well, the problem with Aetherling is that it's also untapped on on your turn. So attacking through in through it is really hard too cuz it's that's that I mean that's a little more risky business like untapping it. Usually I mean like but again that's how versatile the card is. Like not only can you just like uh blistering firecat them every turn, but you also have the the ability to like block them with an urnum to gin. Uh and I usually well usually when I'm playing I'm I'm a cautious enough cat that I just won't even bother trying to exile it to return it for the following turn to then block Dev shenanigans. Like, my blue mana is is usually uh, so valuable that I would rather just leave it tapped. But yes, you have that you have that angle you can also attack from, and all of your opponents call the herd tokens just can't do anything. Yeah. I'm just really upset at that card right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was, was, it just... was worse than DGR draft. Oh, I'm sure. But I, I, I th- really thought Aetherlink should have just been a mythic. In I don't a... know why it wasn't. No, it should have been a mythic in M14. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Like it would have made the it would have made the block pro tour a little more interesting if Aetherling hadn't been a part of that equation. Yeah. It also would have helped out the value and the rarity and probably like the baseline player analysis of that card if it had been a mythic and a core set. And it doesn't break the core set rules. So I, I think that I mean, obviously Jeff would have the same complaint when he was like, "Oh, I didn't have an M14 yesterday," and Aetherling pushed my crap in, but. Uh, um, yeah, I think it would. I think it would have been better overall if that card had made it to the core set as a mythic. That's a rough one. I'm I'm very upset. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel better, I drafted online last week and there was an eighth thing in the same pack as the people, and I knew one of them wasn't going to come back, and I had to make a tough choice, and I took the up, new one. Upheaval up or Etherling? Which Aetherling. one? Did you take? Aetherling. Yeah. Got to try the new cards. Which one has a higher vork? <laughs> uh, well, it's probably the, the Aetherling, right? Because the upheaval is very, very narrow. Very in in, un, in unpowered MTGO cube, Aetherling has a higher Vork. In powered yeah. IRL cube, similar to what we both operate with, I would imagine upheaval does, because we have a lot more of, like, brown acceleration. Yeah, yeah, you get all those mocks right back onto the right back onto the battlefield. Oh, God, it's so gross. <laughs> um, anyway, let's, let's move on back into our real topic. Okay, uh, I want to talk about in a, in a, in gameplay, and Jeff and I just wring our hands over this all the time, how we can talk about actual gameplay on the podcast more often, and I don't know if this is going to work, but I, I'm going to try to apply this concept to an actual game of Magic, and my thought here, and you guys can agree or disagree as you see fit, is that in, in a game, it's less about the value over a replacement card as far as like your own cards are concerned. It's more about the value of your card versus the opponent's card that you're, that you could potentially trade it with essentially, right? So Doomblade is a very good card to have in a game because you can spend a black and a colorless mana at instant speed to basically kill any creature. And if your opponent spent six mana on a six six, you're winning that exchange because you spent less mana to deal with uh, a threat. Right? 
Sure. Yes, as long as we don't start talking about stock mana. What do you mean by, by that? You guys aren't familiar with the con- the theory of stock mana? Uh, explain it to us. And uh... <laughs> okay, so the theory of stock mana is that you will you will win more games in the long run. Oh yeah. During which during which you spend if spend, you spend more, more mana. Of your mana. Yeah. Yeah. If you're yeah, you've spent more mana. Yeah. Sure. I've I've never heard of it described as the stock mana theory, but I like that. There's yeah, there's a it, it's kind of an inside joke among uh, players because there was a there was a popular article written about it that was kind of debunked by a lot of people, but it was pretty much just like if you if if on turn three you spent three mana and on turn four you spent four mana and on turn five you spent five mana, et cetera, et cetera. You should be winning you know, more of your games than if you're the guy that doesn't spend mana on turn two, doesn't spend mana on turn three, doesn't spend mana on turn four. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So, like, the the Doomblade versus Crawworm example is one. You could also talk about if you spend a blue and a colorless to essence scatter your opponent's five drop, or if you trade your 2-2 Grizzly Bear for your opponent's three mana, 3-2, you know? These are all ways where you can see the difference in value, and it's usually it usually has to do with mana cost, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and this comes back to that stock mana theory, and, and we've talked about that, limited resources talked about that. Everybody talks about that as far as, like, the value of a card in Magic. Um, but what about, like, an actual two-for-one? Like, that's, that's straight card advantage. Like, that just oozes Vork, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, but how do you evaluate... I mean, you're talking about trying to evaluate Vork during a game? Yes. Okay, so my opponent has a, a deadly recluse and uh, that new red looter guy in play, and I just drew my flames of the firebrand. Like it doesn't, it doesn't Ooh. take, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a steno pad and five minutes on the sidelines to, <laughs> to, to work me into into making a play. <laughs> um, like how, yeah. but how much of a gray area do you want to go into to try to to try to um, uh, show this uh, this uh, example? Well, I mean, we can look at Flames of the Firebrand in that situation, but then we can also look at a card we discussed earlier, Mind Rot, which is inherent card advantage, right? I'm spending one card to get two of your cards. The difference is, is that I'm spending three mana on my card to get two cards that you're never going to have to use any of your resources to to cast, right? Oh, this this is this actually this conversation boils down to some of the the beautiful interplay that is the game Magic: The Gathering. Yes, uh, because. To me, like you guys use examples uh, about stock mana and you know effectively using your turn. Um, when I try to teach players about limited and like go to start to go to advanced and expert levels, um, I approach it from a slightly different angle. But what you're what you're describing here is a great example of um, resources spent and uh, value of, of cards acquired versus versus one another. So <clears throat> a lot of times, how players kind of learn that learn quote unquote that mind rot is a bad card is when they put it in their deck they draw it as one of their resources they use some of their other resources to cast it and their opponent discards lands six and seven from their hand yep and then they they go back and they're like well why you know sure you told me two for ones are good like that's two for one but it just that's not what happened i lost that game very handily i took my turn to do that um so what you're what what you're asking here is how do we evaluate mind rot during gameplay because of factors like that? Yep. And I, again, like I don't have an, a simple answer. I mean, we've kind of hashed out reasons why it's not as good of a card as Flames of the Firebrand. But uh, again, I'm just more trying to put us all into that headspace where we're thinking about cards in a 
evaluating cards in a um, an advanced way, essentially. Yeah. So I'm one of those people where I'm already starting. Like I'm usually starting from a worst case scenario. I'm usually starting for like my cards are going to do nothing. So why would I put them in my deck if they're going to do nothing? So if that's already my mentality, I'm looking at a card like Mind Rod, and I'm I'm assuming it's going to hit the 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 weakest of my opponent's cards. Then when I choose to put it in my deck, because we've already evaluated that during the draft process, the Vork is very low. We've we've got one. We have access to a Mind Rod. We move over to deck building, and now it's like, okay, well, under what circumstances am I going to apply this card to my deck? And at that, you're implying a very different skill where it's like, okay, well, I have to understand how my game plays out. I have to understand where this card fits into my curve. Now, you guys are talking about casting things like Doomblade and Essence Scatter with two of your mana on your opponent's turn five or six against you know, using all of their mana, using their the entirety of their turn, because to me... Um, ways you get ahead and limited is by replicating time walks as close to possible, um, which is a is a very hard concept to explain to new players. So I'm more likely to apply that mind rod card to my deck. I'm more likely to get closer for that two for one when I already have access to those other uh, other aspects you've just mentioned. If I'm playing blue black and I have the doom blades in my deck, the essence scatters in my deck, now I'm like, well, on my turn five, it's not about casting. Some form of undead minotaur. It's not like it's, I'm not tapping out for a four four for five. I'm taking two of my opponent's resources with mind rot, but then also attempting to time walk them with essence scatter or doom blade. That is a better use of my resources and time than tapping out for a four four and leaving those cards in my hand. So that's the important, most important concept I think uh, out of this kind of gameplay section of the podcast is you need to be planning for the game and for the whole game, like. If you gain a small amount of advantage on turn two, but by doing that you give up the ability to gain like a larger amount of advantage on turn five, that's where you're giving up Vork. You're giving up value on your cards. Like if you mind rot, just straight turn three, mind rot you, and your opponent has four cards in hand, chances are like they're, I mean not chances are, they're definitely going to discard the two worst cards in their hand unless they're a bad player. Now, if you wait till they tap out on turn five and they only have two cards left, that card yeah, but, is probably going to do more work for you, right? Yeah, they lose choice, so they don't get to shape their game any longer. Like In, in the classic corset environment, the mind rot dream scenario is the, how many cards are in your hand? All right, what turn is it? Okay, cast it, and they discard their 7-drop bomb and their 8-drop bomb, or their 7th land and their 6-drop bomb or something. Um, that, that's, that's the reason a lot of players still put Mind Rod in their deck without looking at, uh, the deck building process and evaluating it properly. Yep. Right. And, and the major thing, I think, for Mind Rot, uh, to look at the value is that the, the, the best value is when they have two cards in hand. So that's generally when you're going to cast it in, in almost any game. Um, so the fact that it costs three mana, uh, becomes, uh, less important, right? It could cost five mana. And you'd probably it'd probably be around the, about the time they'd only have two cards in their hand. So to get the most value out of mind rot, your your deck should take advantage of that by having something to do with that extra two mana. And give an example of like what that could be. Uh, well, like a doom blade or or say say your deck is just very aggressive. A lot of a lot of two drops, just you know cheap guys. And so you you played a two drop on turn two, and you played maybe a three on turn three, um, and then another three on turn four, and the last two cards you have are mind rot and another two. That makes it so you're just using your resources 
all at the same time and getting the most value. Like your your two drop is still valuable on turn five because you're using all your land. And you're also disrupting your opponent's resources through various outlets similar to Mind Rod. Like they're going to have a harder time dealing with your walking corpse because you've stripped them of a lot of resources, as good yeah. or as bad as those resources are. Exactly. And that's that's the time when you think about including Mind Rot in your deck, is when your deck can take advantage of those types of things. If you're a slow controlling black deck that's trying to hit your five mana, you know, five, four threes or whatever, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck, but um, you're, you're not going to be wanting to include the Mind Rot because then, then you will need to cast it on turn three when it does very little. It just... It, it gives your opponent the, the option of, you know, shaping the game that how they want it to be instead of taking away choice for them. Yeah, especially if you're, like, tapping out for something like a Mind Rot, just you're showing your opponent that I'm not going to do anything on your turn. It comes back to, like, Nefalia Seekite again, where you're like, if you don't play anything on your turn, your opponent has less information, whereas, like, if I'm just like, okay, turn three Mind Rot you... Uh, it's like, okay, well, he's going to be tapped out next turn. Like, I don't have to worry about him doomblading, like, one of my attackers or any creature I play on the spot. I, I don't know. Like, information is worth a lot in Magic. And we've talked about that before, but it's, it's again, kind of an abstract concept. I think that, you know, I, I, as much as I was not going to try to apply this concept, I think that your your guys' audience is, is advanced enough that I can introduce this and you're going to get it. It's it's all about, Corset Limited is really easy to try to apply the how can I make as many cards in my hand as possible time lock. And when I sit down from an opponent and they use their turn three to cast Mind Rot on me and I discard two lands, I I have now cast Time Walk, discard two lands. Zero mana, discard two lands. Yep. Like, that is huge. Like, uh, I, would, I would imagine in many limited environments, we would all use that opportunity and cast that spell. So that's the trap that a lot of players will walk into. And I'm not saying that there aren't decks that you can draft where casting Mind Rot on turn three and having your opponent discard two lands isn't good, but they're very narrow and they have to be built towards, and those are strategies you you have to uh, put together. For example, if it was, you know, pay for life, discard two lands, time walk, in a game of Corset Limited, that's less useful uh, less often because... I got mind rotted, and my opponent also attacked me with their creatures. If they had a, a jackal familiar and a walking corpse, um, which are cards in corset but aren't the same ones, but you get the idea. You know, I mean, you're talking about blightning essentially. Yeah. Which, which is a card that is definitely better than mind rot because it also has that added pressure of you also take three damage. So not only am I taking resources from you at, at my own mana expense with a blightning, like I'm paying three three mana to get rid of two cards that you're never going to have to spend mana on, but I'm also putting more pressure on your life total at the same time, and therefore, like, if Mind Rot is Vork 0, Blightning is, like, Vork plus .25 or something, you know, because it apply like, if you're playing an aggressive deck, it has value there. Right. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I've played enough Corset Limited in my day that I've definitely drawn Mind Rot with my opponent at three or fewer life, you know, off the top of my deck. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we all... We all we all get it. It's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bummer. Yeah. So um, just kind of applying the, the the concept, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, where any way that you can create a se- a play sequence or a turn sequence where you just kind of got free time walks. If my opponent, if I'm playing blue and I have essence scatter in my deck, and my opponent spent turn six casting craw worm, and I spent two of my mana on my turn that I wouldn't have used otherwise to counter that spell effectively I've cast, like, time walk, target opponent draws a card. 
And that is where huge swings come into the game of Magic when your card advantage is so seemingly so minuscule and hard to see in a course set where it's not like formats where every instant has draw a card attached to it or every permanent doesn't do something when it enters the battlefield. Um, and, you know, you guys have played enough that you, you've run into these circumstances. You just have to stop and look at it from another angle and then try to explain that to people where it's like, well, here's really why you want to do it. And now you can, you can replicate the best things in Magic just by playing course set limited. You just have to understand how to make those things happen, and that's how you capitalize on those limited games. Maybe this is why Spencer likes Corset Limited so much more than I do. It's because he sees all the angles. Does uh, <laughs> have a, a very high win percentage? I, I don't know. He just really likes Corset, and I, Jeff and I are not huge fans of Corset Limited. I literally will not draft it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, about as, that's about as unfan as you can get. I don't think there's anyone else doing a magic podcast that will refuse to draft a Corset. Uh, a limited than... magic podcast. Nonetheless, yeah. yeah, especially. I, I, well, now that I have Magic online, Rise of the Eldrazi is online this week. That's that's way better. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff you and I had great excuses. Like, we, Cube was online, Rise was online. Like, as much as I, I, I actually love Corset Limited. I was one of those people that would just grind the hell out of seventh edition, eighth edition, ninth edition because no one oh, else. Gross. I know. No one else. No one else ever wanted to open it. And you're That's not going to, like, true. sit around and just break packs of it to try to get products. You're going to, like, try to coerce people into playing it. Um, again, like, I keep – it's funny because you guys know Larry, so I can bring up all these old ancient Larry stories. <laughs> uh, for your for your podcast audience, uh, have you ever talked about Larry on your podcast? Maybe like, just in passing, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I think I, I think that's like one of the reasons I even brought it up the first time is I think I remember hearing him mention <laughs> anyway. So uh, for the, for your audience who doesn't know, uh, Greg and Jeff and I all kind of started, not necessarily started, but had an infancy of playing Magic all in the same kind of area. And we all had a mutual friend or acquaintance by the name of Larry. And Larry's a super nice guy. You know, he's not like the kind of person who shows up a friend of Magic who you, you think is a, is, a, is a negative person in any way. But uh, Larry's card evaluation and Larry's play style is is much more monkey see monkey do in my opinion. Yep. And that would lend itself to a lot of very like frustrating scenarios for someone like myself. And I remember there was a Saturday afternoon where I used to run I used to run drafts at a complex store Saturday afternoons. Uh, I actually used to run them all day. The mornings would be like two or three pods and the afternoons would usually be like one or two pods. And I'm trying to like just crank through um like to try to like fill out more pain land sets to trade off to people or whatever. And we were drafting Ninth edition, sixth man Rochester, like, and then it was going to be a rare, re- it was going to be a rare redraft at the end. And we, that sounds we, kind of awesome. I yeah, <laughs> Jeff's in for that format. And we opened Foil Wrath of God, and that was the day that I lost to Larry for first place in the draft, and he got the Foil Wrath of God. Woo! <laughs> yeah, that was that was rough. That There's was something rough. to be said about the. You you called it monkey see monkey do. I'm gonna give Larry more credit than that, but that kind of just and and I actually feel like my brother plays like this too. He's just he's so straightforward and consistent with the way he evaluates cards and plays that he knows how to do it so well. <laughs> like that, it, as far as his game is concerned, so he, he doesn't make mistakes. You're saying that Russell is the Rain Man. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Please, he he might listen to this. <laughs> Um, no, but like he 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 stays in his lane. You know what I'm saying? Like he has this niche of like his play style and the way he he understands magic, like in his own 
crazy way, right? To the point where it works for him. And like, you hear people talk about that all the time, like play style and uh, what, like what color, what guild are you like that kind of shit where like, there is something to be said about consistency and knowing how to play a certain style of deck or, or play a certain way. Like I know that there are certain limited formats that I was much better at than others. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that Russell and I Larry as well, the, the, the thing that they don't get bogged down with is the fancy play syndrome where they try to get trickier than they need to be. Yeah. yeah, like you set up this five-turn arc where you're eventually going to get like a five for two, and you're like, yeah, that's going to be awesome, and everyone's going to see it. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like trying to play, like, it's like a machismo. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm cooler than you because I can find value where you couldn't. Moolitis. While I'm trying to do that, I'm losing all this, like, easily seen value because I'm spending too much time thinking too far into it. Where, uh, you know, just taking the basics of the game and and uh, realizing, you know, how to play that perfectly is is really powerful when when you get to the level of like trying to think maybe like past your opponent, like like, oh, they think I have this, but I don't. And they and I know they have this, so I'm going to do it this way. And it's like, just play your fucking play your burn deck, <laughs> you play, play your hill giant attack with it, you know, like, yeah. Well, and, and and I want to say like Larry, it was Larry's draft style. Like his his execution and play was not subpar. Like he no, he no. played the games well. He it was just his his card evaluation and draft. And many of the problem was we drafted a lot of original Mirrodin together, where colors didn't really matter so much. Yep. Yeah, this, he went on to apply this strategy to every other <laughs> format ever. Some people are super greedy with mana. That's I think one of the biggest mistakes I see newer players make is once they like realize or once they play a format where they get to play like three or four colors like a Ravnica or something or a Mirrodin, you're you tend to get into that default of, oh I can make three colors work or oh I can make four colors work. You know, all I need is X, Y, and Z and then you're like, oh I'm a little light on the mana fixing, so I'll just play like a terrible mana base and hope it gets there. And I mean the problem sometimes for Yeah, the problem for us is that sometimes it does work out for them. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean that that's it's like poker and getting and sacking out on the river or whatever. Yeah. I drew but, uh, island, island, mountain, mountain, plains, plains this game, and I cast all my spells and casually won with all my powerful ones. Like, that's going to happen a percentage of the time. That's just, you just, yeah, it happens. And then there's those times where Larry draws uh, Betrayal of Flesh, uh, Grab the <laughs> Reins, Mirror Enforcer, Lodestone, God. Oh, man. All those cards are so awesome. <laughs> and then, like, Forest, Island, Island, and you're like, okay, this is going to be an interesting game. I'll cast Iron Mirror and attack ten times. Mirrodin's <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, a great format. <laughs> I think that's why I like those kind of expert-level sets more than a core set, is because it does allow you more opportunity to, to like, go down those fancy play syndrome routes. But also, like, they all have those core tenets of magic where you'd be like, okay, I'm just going to beat down with tutus this game, you know, and see if that works. Yeah, that's been my, definitely my go-to for um, for the Return to Ravnica block draft is I'm just, I'm just taking the gruel cards and staying red-green and beating down on turn two and three and four. Yeah. But, all right. Well, I think we've kind of exhausted this Vork discussion in... Ultimately, I want the big takeaway to not be like some 
formula that you that you can just punch in the stats of a card into a computer program and it tells you, oh, this card is a 3.6 value over replacement card. Like, I just wanted to talk about a different way to maybe try and evaluate magic cards for limited magic. Um, and I, in the notes, I'm actually just going to read these because I do think these are important. Like, powerful cards, like cards that have a high fork in theory, are not a substitute for good drafting or deck building or, or type play. Like, those are the things that really are going to win you most of your games of magic. So, Again, these rating systems, whether they're A, B, C, D, E, F, or Vork, or whatever, like that's not the be-all, end-all. You still need to actually apply good magic skill to win games. Um, but knowing the value of your cards relative to like a replacement level or some sort of baseline can help you manage your expectations of cards a little bit better, and that'll help you avoid things like tilting and... Uh, to borrow limited resources, BCSM, or best case scenario mentality. Like, and I think that's pretty important too. Yeah. But. I would just like to close out the conversation about magic and baseball with a uh, tiny, tiny Venn diagram joke that my circle has been kicking around for a very long time that we just haven't been able to, to kind of like deploy anywhere that you guys will enjoy because you guys are baseball fans. Jeff uh, is not a baseball fan. <laughs> For this joke, you're going to be, so just listen. All right, uh, eat it, Jeff. <laughs> so, uh, Eck and Vin and I were standing around one day, uh, and Eck is the co-host of my, my podcast, Magic Box, and um, we were laughing about listening to like uh, nationally broadcast games and someone like Joe Morgan. And Eck uh, brilliantly came up with the Joe Morgan Planeswalker. And again, this is going to be like a two percenter, <laughs> but it's just I'm it's already just, in. It's, just so, it's so funny to those of us that know what it means that it's just too good to leave out. So oh, the Joe God. Morgan Planeswalker, uh, he's a red, red, and one. Already an inside joke. Yep. Uh, he starts with three loyalty. His plus one is gain a life. His minus one is each opponent loses a life. And his ultimate is zero. Uh, do nothing. Why would you ever do anything else? That's how you win the game. <laughs> I, I'm Great laughing because it. I get it. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Right, Wig? Uh, our Photoshop skills are still very poor, and we want to mock it up, but every time we talk about doing that, we realize that the percentage of the population that would get the joke is so minuscule that it's almost not worth the time that we want to desperately put into it. Yeah. Um, so that one's for you today, Greg, and thank you. five people that listen to your podcast that will also laugh heartily by what we've just given them. That makes me <laughs> want to do like a bunch of other ones, like a Gus Johnson planeswalker or a Joe Buck planeswalker. <laughs> oh, dude, you've got you got my gears turning now. Oh my god. Oh, we we constantly bring up the Joe Morgan planeswalker <laughs> anytime we're watching baseball, and someone's like, "Well, you just can't argue with RBIs." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's do some set review game. Yeah. Now, All right. TSC, have you ever heard us do this on the podcast before? Um, I thought I was really, I'm really sad that we didn't get to do the Would You Rather game, which isn't what you call it, but it's what I call it. Uh, you guys kind of move up the common, uncommon, rare, mythic range. Like, I was totally amped for that. I'm not as good uh, on set review game. Oh, pick a card? Yeah, pick a card. Yeah, there you go. I okay. like to call it Would You Rather. I think that's a lot funnier. Uh, is <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather... No, I mean, we kind of did that with Nephelia Seakite and uh, what's it called? But yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to do that the next time you're on. The best is when you have like you have Jeff and Spencer and then their decisions like greatly diverge and you have to like keep the whole conversation together. But you're like <laughs> five cards ago, like Spencer took a left turn down a dark alley and you don't know like what he's doing anymore. And now yeah. you like can't really match the cards up very equally anymore. 
my my goal every time I create a pick a card list is to get you to select a card early, move off of that card, and then by the end of the list, want to go back to that first one you picked. <laughs> I've done that to Jeff once, and it was awesome. He's like, oh, can I just go back and take the unsummon or, or whatever it was? It was well, great. I remember that. What was that? I can't remember. I think it was during Innistrad. And, I mean, that's the perfect block for that segment because... Man. The innocuous commons can end up being so strong. Oh, yeah, like Nod of the Bone. We talked about that earlier, where, like, a card that looks just like a piece of garbage is <laughs> ends up being, like, one of the most fun cards to play with in the set, and subtly one of, like, the most very powerful late picks you can have. I don't know. It was so, great. So look for, for the uh, new series of Choose Your Own Adventure by Greg Smith, coming to you by Brandy Books in 2014. <laughs> it'll be, uh, it'll be uh, uh, Pick a Card, the Would You Rather series. Yeah, uh, yeah, on bookshelves near you. All every, right, every li- every book is just going to end on fire blast. Yeah, that's it. All right, so uh, so set review game. So our listeners probably have no idea what this is either because we haven't done it in forever, and I think we've only done it like twice. But um, now, now I feel better. Okay, all right, go on. Yeah. Um. So you, do you know name that tune? You know how to play that game? Uh, yes. Didn't yeah. you guys do this with flavor text once? And it went we back. have done it with flavor text. Yes. We have done it with flavor text. This is this is similar, but this is with set reviews. Okay. So I'm gonna read a review of a card from a set of Magic. Uh, obviously, it's not gonna be the oldest sets of Magic. It, they go pretty they go for pretty far back online, but not all the way because the dojo doesn't exist anymore. But um, but yeah, so I'm gonna read a review from a set of Magic. Now, and, now, and, Jeff, I have to ask: Have you downloaded the GeoCities archives? No, Ooh. is the dojo on there? It uh, some of it might be. I definitely know there's there's a lot of great magic content hidden inside the GeoCities archives. If you, oh, I, I just go to Reddit. I'm sure they'll direct you to where to torrent <laughs> it or whatever. To walk down memory lane right there. Exactly. That is cool. That yeah. Um. Anyway, I'm a I'm a big fan of magic history, but uh, so so I will read a review. Then you guys will bid how much information you need of the card to guess what card it is. Um, I'm going to post the order of information in our little text box here, but I'm going to say it out loud as well for the listeners. Um, let's see. Can you guys see that? Uh, oh, yeah, in the Skype chat? Yeah, so initially, Skype. I'm just going to read this out loud a once-over for the audience. Initially, you're going to give us the text box. Uh, that is in reverse order. That's so that's reverse order. So you're going to start... Oh, oh I, that makes so that's the sense. most amount of information you can okay. get. Okay, so you're going to start tells with, you just, what it does. just with CMC... Yeah, it's converted mana cost. Oh, just converted. So not even like red, red one. You're just going to be like three. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. And then we can move into color. And then we can move into rarity, then type. Then if it's a creature, you're going to get the power and toughness. Um, then you'll get the actual mana cost. Then you'll you'll get the block that it's in, then the set that it's in. And then finally, you'll get the text box, and if you don't know it by then, you're you're big dumb. I mean, I, I I'd like to guarantee that I could let, I'd be a lock by the time we get to block, but I don't know how tricky these things are going to be. Yeah, yeah it's, it's usually, and we're going to bid on it, and that's the best part. Um, yeah. So Tristan, you're the guest. We'll let you go. We'll let you start the bidding on Jeff's. So first it's gonna it, the way it's going to work is Jeff's going to say something, and then I'm going to say I can name that card with no more information than the rarity. Yeah, and then I would either have to say, okay, I can do it with just the color and converted mana oh, cost. Okay, okay. You so could say, well, okay. I'm only going to do it with the converted mana cost. Okay. Or you can just say, like, I don't need any more information. I know exactly what card that is. Wow. I, I think I'd troll you at least. I'd be like, I would just be like CMC only. Yeah. I mean, but that's the <laughs> thing is I can I can make you name it. So or, or try okay. it. 
there's, yeah. there's, there's there's some gamery going on here for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and if you have no clue, I mean, just start with all the info and see where your opponent goes. <laughs> and the and the winner leaves with a an East West Draftcast T-shirt, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If such a thing existed, you <laughs> definitely leave with one of those. I've talked about it, and maybe someday. Just do um, it Teespring style. You got nothing to lose. It's true. We we do have a logo. Um. All right. So, this is the first card, and in these in these uh, reviews. Uh, you might get some free information that's one of these things on the list, but, yeah. but this we'll is see. the best equipment in the set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, all right. So first card. This is, in my opinion, the best creature with this mechanic. And if I ever get to draft a deck based around the mechanic, this card will be the reason. Being a common, some free information. There's a chance you're going to get your hands on two or three of these, and if you do, it is worth playing with five colors. If you have three colors, it is already worth playing. If you have four colors, it is very good, and if you have all five, it becomes excellent. Whoa. That's it. Okay. I mean, like, I definitely have a card that I want to name, <laughs> but I... I mean, if you get the... what, How much information do you need to be sure that it's that card? I, I, I'm just going to bid CMC, then. All right, I think all I right. can name it. All right, I'm going to make an attempt. Blown out, blown out. All right. Well, Go it's I'm it. just guessing. Skyreach Manta? That is correct. Damn Ooh, it, yeah. that was my guess. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, that card's kind of on our minds right now cuz we were all drafting uh Modern Masters. Which... So that was from the uh Fifth Dawn. That set is from review? the Fifth Dawn set review, yeah. Uh, see, I see, I thought that was going to be from the Modern Masters set review. No. That is the fifth on set review. Are you going to attribute who these set reviews were done by? Do you know, I didn't. I didn't write it down. Uh, I actually do remember this one was actually uh, PV. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but most of them I won't remember. And that's if there's weird. A... that that's weird. PV wrong. That's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was writing about magic that long ago. To be honest. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. He. Re- I think it was for. Um, Brainburst at that point. Remember. No, um, fifth on probably was. Probably was Star City at that point. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and if you hear pun, that'll be LSV. <laughs> um, all right. So, this one. I'm not totally in love with Wrath Effects Unlimited, but they are undeniably powerful. Once the opponent knows of its existence, it loses a ton of value, but until then, you should be able to get pretty good advantage out of your card. And even if they do know, that can buy that can often buy enough time where you don't or when you don't even have the card in hand. That's it? That's it. Oh, you don't God. get a lot. I mean, you know it's a wrath effect. That's true, but I mean... You can I, do know there's no, I do know there's no card with forecast that's also a wrath effect, because that's the first thing that sprung to mind. Yeah. Uh, I can do it with the... Uh, I'll say I can do it with the block. So would, yeah, the, troll, the, block. How, would the troll move be power and toughness? Uh <laughs> It could be Desolation Giant, don't get me wrong. Uh, that would be a nice one, though. That'd be the ultimate troll payoff. You'd be like, I trolled you, and I got the perfect <laughs> amount of information. <laughs> I mean, obvi- obviously I can up the ante to mana cost. Okay. Type doesn't really help. Rarity doesn't really help. All right, I'm going to say, ah, God, it just seems like it's going to have some outlandish mana cost, and... It'll be too easy. It'll be too easy. It'll be like white, white, white seven. But then if I just say give me the rarity or the type, then I'm just I'm guessing. So I'm, I'm gonna. S- say, I'm telling you, go for the middle ground. Go power and toughness. Power and toughness. I'm gonna say name it. See see what you get. All right, all right. All right. What do I get? So I I get a whole bunch of free information now. Yeah, you do. 
Okay, so the converted mana cost is... You're going to get the actual cost, but the converted mana cost is four. Uh, the color is white. The rarity is rare. The type is sorcery. And the mana cost is two white white. <laughs> so day of judgment? That is correct. Ah, uh, see, how come it wasn't Wrath of God? What'd you say? I Who's going to do a set review for Wrath of God? We yeah, all know what it's right. <laughs> uh, see, there, see, that's... And they would call it a Wrath effect. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. All right, next one. As long as the spell can target something else, this is almost as good as a force of will. But seeing as in draft, you t- you're trying mostly to counter creatures, this is kind of a bad card. Can you read it one more time? I'm sorry. As long as the spell can target something else, this is almost as good as a force of will. But seeing as in draft, you're trying to mostly counter only creatures, this is kind of a bad card. I'll bid color. Uh, I'll bid convert a mana cost. It's all yours. Okay. Uh, I can't even remember the converted mana cost. Sorry. Oh, wait. Converted mana cost is way more useful than color. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We know it's a blue card. I guess Not necessarily, that's but most likely. It could be a red card, I guess. But I mean, I'm guessing it's blue-blue. All right. Converted mana cost is five. Five. I'm going to say... Oh, let me make sure I am naming this right. Is it misdirection? That's correct. Nice. That would have been the, if it wasn't redirect, which was going to be the CMC of blue blue, then that was going to be my guess. Yeah, should we move CMC to above color? I didn't really think about that. Yeah, I don't know. Most of these are pretty obvious in what color they are, probably. Well, that's okay. I think that's just part of the. Yeah, I guess color probably should be the lowest amount of information. Let's 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 do a flip flop for these last ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CMC is uh, very useful when you've described what kind of effect it is. Yeah, even rarity is probably less valuable than CMC sometimes. But anyway. All right. Uh, not much to say about this card, really. <laughs> great. The ability co- <laughs> off to a great start. The ability cost means you can cast it two or three times later on, and it is solid removal. It Ooh. looks like the best common in its color to me. So you got some free information there with the rarity. Yeah, and cast it two or three times. That's that's the really uh awkward part, because it's not flashback spell. It's probably not a buyback spell, but not exclusively not. Yeah, it could... I mean, it could be forecast, it could be buyback. Um, I will say... I mean, say, it could also be something like real loose, like Thunderbolt Charge. Yeah, I'm gonna say... Maybe try to start a bidding war. I'm gonna say I could do it with the block. Okay. Well, obviously, I could do it with the mana cost. <sighs> I'll say type. Yeah, okay. fire away. Okay. Go for it. All right. So uh, it's a red card. Okay. Um, it's a common. We already said that. It has a converted mana cost of four. All right. And it is an instant. Huh. Um, Damn it, I have a good guess now. I'm going to say Tortoise Stone. That's right. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, you guys have been uh, hitting these pretty easily. We have right. been playing this game a lot for a very long time. I know, and those, I don't know. I, I kind of... I, now I just picture you guys sitting around the campfire having this weird game. <laughs> it, this game is great. It takes a little bit of legwork on Jeff's part to get this one to go, and it yeah. only ever works if we have three people on, which is why when we have a guest, it's like, let's do a set review or a flame that's text why, that's game. Again, that's why I picture like the whole gang's at the campsite like playing the weird <laughs> name the card game, and the girlfriends are all like, let's do something else. Yeah, usually we're just cubing, and they're just sitting in the river going, those guys are nerds. 
And that right. I can get behind. That's a lot easier than it's a four mana. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Next card. Another reasonable cycling dude. This <laughs> this seems pretty good at bashing in the mid to late game. Unblockability is really powerful, and being able to cycle him when you are looking for more or when you are looking more defensive is pretty nice. CMC. Ah uh, man. Well, it's color, right? It would be color would be the one below that. Yeah. Man, see that my problem is now I'm having a hard time remembering what the names of these are, but I'm gonna. I think I can just name it. Ah. All right. <laughs> Twisted abomination. Wrong. Ah. Want to steal? Hulk. That is correct. Glass dust Hulk. Unblockability, man. Yeah, I thought it was like they were going for the swamp walk situational. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that card. I don't swamp. Twisted walk. abomination does not have swamp walk. What oh, does it, it? It has swamp cycling and regeneration. That's it. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I messed yeah, that up. That card would be pretty boss if it also had swamp walk. Yeah. <laughs> it already is pretty sweet. <sighs> All right. Is there any? Are there any more? Yes, I have uh, a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bring awesome. It. <laughs> All right. Next one. This card is extremely solid. Ah. The, uh, the, uh, the unkicked cost of this spell is entirely reasonable and can be played in decks relying heavily on its color, as well as those just splashing it. With the kicker paid, this card becomes extremely powerful, giving you huge amounts of control over the playing field. Jeez. Uh, so it has kicker. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to go to, I'm going to start low again. I'm going to say I can do it with the set. Okay. I can do it with the rarity. The rarity, wow. Okay, uh, the rarity. I'm going to say name it. All right, so you get color. Converted mana mana. cost, color, and rarity. All right, so the converted mana cost is two. It's a blue card, and it's a common. Do, 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 I know, I know. Do, For some reason, I really, I really want to say reality spasm, but that's just not right. Uh, okay, because I kept thinking multi kicker. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, that would still count, but. I know, I know it would count. That's why I thought this was going to be a lot easier. Um, can you read me the? Can you read me the text one more time, Alex? <laughs> this card is extremely solid. The unkicked cost of this spell is entirely reasonable and can be played in decks relying heavily on its color, as well as those just splashing it the kicker paid this card becomes extremely powerful giving you huge amounts of control over the playing field well i'll tell you what it's not it's not tempest owl <laughs> that's correct i have to look that card up i don't even know what that is it's in zendikar it has kicker and it has that casting cause yeah it's like i don't i don't give creatures permanence <laughs> oh dude this card does give you extreme control over the playing field <laughs> Oh, no, man. no, no, it's not. I can't not believe that. I wrote myself into a corner here. I thought this would be so easy. Oh, man. What else has two mana? So it's probably a blue and one. We gotta put you on a timer at some point here. I know, I know, I know. I'm just gonna scoop if I can't. If not, I mean, I, come on, I came up with Tempest Owl. Give me a break. I know, that was pretty good. Alright. <laughs> do you want me to start going up the. Yeah, you can, you can pass So you just pass it back to Greg with the next level of information, right? Yeah. Okay. Alright. Uh, it's power and toughness. No. <laughs> it's uh, one and a blue. Is the oh yeah, I, I think it's say, into the royal. The type. Uh, I forgot to say the type. Sorry. It's all right. It's, is it into the royal? Because that's my guess. It's not. Okay. Um. So 
Well, the type is instant. But Wow, uh, so it's an instant that costs one into blue and it's not into the royal. Yeah. yeah. Unkicked. What does a blue... Oh, wait, no. Consuming Vortex has splice onto Arcane. That's I mean, not... He really. could have been using Kicker as a... Uh, I know, I know, right? Like, it could have been tro- like, the site review could have been trolling us. Yeah. Man, that'd be great. <laughs> I think I'll, it, I, I'll guess Consuming Vortex, then. No. Right. Oh, wait, right. oh, it's Cyclone... Wait, no, Cyclone Rift's a sorcery. <laughs> no. Well, okay, I'm going to keep going up information here. That's okay. Overload, too. <laughs> All right, the block is Invasion Block. Oh, God. Oh, what's the... Uh, it's Jilt. Jilt, yeah, yeah, it's Jilt. There it is. Nice. I knew that was one was going to be hard. But. That's a that was a good one. Yeah. All right. all right. I beat all around that bush, and you got. I wouldn't even think about into the royal. Yeah. Both yeah. Uh, very cubable cards, depending upon your type of cube. Actually, I think the irony is no Zendikar set review would talk about how good into the royal is. That's true. <laughs> it wouldn't have known, and well, it's not splashable either. You wouldn't really splash for into the royal. Yeah, I don't know. No, no, you're not splashing for anything in Zendikar. <laughs> That's true. Right. You're dying if you're playing a third color. <laughs> Next one. Uh, while this can gain you a lot of life, Angel's Mercy also can, and it never gets boarded in. Board this in when appropriate, which will be rare, but avoid the main with it at all costs. Best life gain spell ever? Uh, who starts on this one? I kind of I forgot. I, who's... I think I do. Yeah, I, so you right. like set the bar on the last one. I upped it, and then you said go for it. Yep. Um. Oh man, I I know it's one of two sets. I'm now uh, types worthless. Uh, <laughs> rarity is worthless. Color is worthless. <laughs> the problem is like that. I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll start small. I'll go block. Okay, okay. I'll say mana cost, and then I'll try to go with type. Okay. Ah, so he gets the type, the rarity, the color, the converted mana cost. Uh, See, I don't think type's all that useful. Yeah, I, I'm going to say go for it. All right. All right. Green card, three converted mana cost, a common, and an instant. In the same, Most likely in the same set as Angel's Mercy. But you said Angel's Mercy, right? I, it, Angel's Mercy, yeah. Angel's Mercy also can, and it never gets boarded in. Was right, so Angel's Mercy was in, like, M11, it was in Avison Restored, and the green... I didn't get the... What was the type? was instant, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I need a, a three-mana green instant in recent past that gains a shitty amount of life. <laughs> Man, how do I not remember these things? It's because they print one of these cards in every set. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if this Nourish only costs two mana. Uh, this game's not, a, it's not Bountiful Harvest. I'm going to pass it back, Greg. I can't remember. I, I'm going to guess that it's not of the bone. <laughs> That's correct. <All> right. Oh! <laughs> trolled! This is uh, a Conley Woods review. Oh, Missing, Conley the with the miss. Trolled <laughs> so hard. Yeah. It, I was. Yeah, that was fun. And that's <laughs> no mention of the flashback ability. I, I know, I think right? That's, that's a fault of the reviewer. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, yeah. there's... I mean, it helps that I know Jeff well enough to know that he he tends to pick cards for this game that he likes. Like, the first time we did this, it was a given that Lost for War was going to be one of the cards he chose. <laughs> it's like his favorite limited card of all time. Yeah. Well, you know. Speaking I, of which, I, have I, you drafted really, any in Rise yet? <laughs> 
Uh, no, I haven't, but um, it's hard to find, man. It's uncommon. <laughs> uh, Plus, people know about it these days. Yeah. Um, unless you're Pat Cox, apparently. Yeah, man, he was pissing me off in his video. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, I wanted to grab a Fire Blast review for you, Greg, but uh, couldn't find a Vision Set review, surprisingly. Gotta go pretty deep for that one. <laughs> All right. Next card. Notable because it is the cheapest Spectre ever printed. In return for this distinction, it gives up any and all power, evasion, and toughness. <laughs> Will speed be enough? Control decks have never been afraid to run walls, after all. Oh, man. I feel like I should just be able to get it from that review. That's pretty specific. This seems like a card that no one ever played ever. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, can you read it one more time? Notable, because it is the cheapest Spectre ever printed. In return for this distinction, it gives up any and all power, evasion, and toughness. Will speed be enough? Control decks have never been afraid to run walls, after all. Uh, I'm going to say I could do it with the mana cost. I mean, all I'm thinking of is the ton of cards that it is not. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's my problem, is I can only wrap my head around the ones that I've played. Uh, I'll, I'll drop in power toughness. All right. Oh, God, does the type include, like, the subtype? Do I get, like, the actual creature type? Yeah. All right, I'll try for it with that. Yeah, run with it. Go for it. Okay. Maybe. All right. Uh, it's black. Obviously. Really? <laughs> Thanks. Two converted mana cost. All right, okay. things we already knew. All right. Yep. Uh, uncommon. Ooh. And it is a creature, Human Cleric. Oh. Oh, God, what's that guy's name? Uh. Headhunter? Yes. Nice. Uh, yeah. Type matters. <laughs> there was no well, way I was getting it without that information, though. Like, if, if I had to go to Rarity, I would have been boned. Man, yeah. I want to know who wrote that review. Because uh, it had I Morph, think... too, right? Yeah, it had yeah. Morph. God, it's... see, again, just crucial information. Like, <laughs> I know. That's, that's, the, that's the troll part of the answer. On There's that. your evasion right there. You're like, I'm attacking you yeah, with a tutu. Yeah. Just kidding. Discard I believe. Forward. I think this review is Jordy Tate, actually. Okay. Limited guru. Remember it correctly. <laughs> um, I mean, that that particular review was back in the days of the Nick Eisel, so and it's a wild, wild west still. Yeah, totally. All right, next one. I'd play this even if it didn't come back, and if you manage to recur it once, you're way ahead of the game. This is the most aggressive card of its tribe we've seen in a while. Perhaps this is what they needed to rise from the ashes and be viable again. Oh, I, oh, who's first? I think uh, it's, yeah, I started that last one. This is you. Power toughness. Okay. I think I can name it. Oh, <laughs> no, no well, info. Well, game. Chandra's <laughs> Phoenix. That's right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> is it because LSV is too happy on his puns? No, actually just, well, yeah, the rise from the ashes was a, obviously a dead giveaway, but yeah. Uh, I don't know, like, sometimes the reviews are pretty explicit as far as, like, he talked about how efficient it was, how he played, even if it didn't come back. Like, these are all things that I would think about that card. The so. first thing I thought was, like, Shambling Shell. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the interesting thing about this review is this is the M14 review of this card. Huh. And he didn't mention that it's a reprint, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, most cards in, or a lot of cards in Core Sets are reprints, so that doesn't yeah, totally it, surprise me. Yeah, it would me. get pretty boring after a while. Well, I mean, <laughs> a card I guess, looks like, I guess he did, this reprint. I, 
I don't mean he meant didn't mention it was a reprint, but just didn't mention how it played the, the last time. Oh, it was previously. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyway. we talked about how important context is. So, I mean, just because it was good in M12 doesn't necessarily mean it would be good in M14. But a card like that, again, just kind of always will be good. I mean, I, t- I, I, I also assume that that phrase is geared towards limited. We're not we're not talking about constructed. Yeah, these are that limited, limited use, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, because I think if he was to talk about it in constructed terms, then you have a lot more to draw from on the past. Yeah, true, true. Good point. All right, next and last. Oh, uh, comes to an end. All right, the best bear since Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> uh, okay, still nothing as good as Wild Mongrel, but that's an amazing special ability for a common. A lot of info with that with that review. It could be so many cards. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Every set since Odyssey printed the bear that was almost as good as Wild Mongrel. The, yeah. the best bear since Wild Mongrel. Oh, man. Well, then I'll say... Let's let's start real low. I'll say I can get it with the set. All right. I can get it with the power and toughness. Ooh. Okay. All right, I'm going to give you... Because oh, then you get all that other stuff. I'll say I can do it with the type. Okay. Wow, that matters a lot here. I should have just gone down to type. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you revise if you want to just go type. I just don't no, want to give I mean, you power like, and I was, toughness I thought, plus I, type. I, for a second, I thought it was going to be like a troll card, and they were talking about like Watch Wolf, <laughs> which is very possible. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I feel it's like I'm just like putting on a T for you with type. That's what I'm saying. But, I'll, I'll let you rescind your power toughness one, and you can take it from the type, and I'll have you name it. All right, go give you me are, give me all give me those four. You I'll are the guest. I want to let you go out right. on a guess here. So. It is a white card. Converted mana cost is two. It's a common. And it is a creature human soldier. Interesting. It's a common. I think that's the most useful piece of information that I got. <laughs> yeah. Converted mana cost two on a bear. That would so it's not like, not, it's not Knight of the White Orchid. It's not. Yeah. Right. But, but again, it could be from 2002 forward. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, sir. And it's not patrol hound. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pass it back to you. You could also have the very useful power and toughness. That's true. Yeah. Uh, it's a two two. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not watchful. Uh, gotta do that. Now, the, if I make a guess, does that mean I lose? That's what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> this is I'm not counting points here. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've already punted by not naming a card. Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter. But. Uh, shit. I just, I'm trying to think of a, a good guess. A white bear. It's not fledgling griffin. It's a human cleric, you said? Oh, it's a human. I forgot about that one. Human word. soldier. Soldier. So it could be onslaught, but it has to be a common, so that's not possible. Yeah. I have a feeling it's a more modern card than that. Um, but I'm no gonna... one would ref. No one would reference Wild Mongrel after 2006. That's fair. What's the, uh, what's the mana cost? One and white. Oh, really? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> it's not a white-white, so that does that does break it down a bit. Right, it's not the Vigilance guy or... what? I mean, what are the best white grizzly bears that they've... I mean... I mean, we're talking like Kamigawa, but that didn't have a good bear at white and one. Especially not humans, really, either. And Mirrodin, and that didn't have any commons. I mean, unless you're talking like... No, it's not Leon and Dengard. No, uh, that's a 1-3... And it's a cat. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm still drawing a blank. I, I yeah, gotta... give us give us the block. 
block is Ravnica block. Ravnica City of Guilds block. Okay. So Veteran Armor? Yep, there you go. That is it. Nice. Yeah. So oh, who the hell wrote it's almost as good as Wild Monkey? <laughs> I don't remember. They are wrong. Because I'd also like to call that person out for being a little off. Yeah. yeah. That was that was I just liked that it mentioned Wild Mongrel. That was Jeff trolling yeah, me a little I mean, bit. Yeah, I kind of I could have put a nice ellipsis on it as to when it could when they could name it. Yeah, because right. no one no one nowadays is going to be like it's the closest thing to Tarmogoyf we have. <laughs> <laughs> what is the closest thing to Tarmogoyf we have? Is it just uh... well, if you listen to the kids around the schoolyard, they would say it's scavenging ooze. Yeah, uh... yeah, that card's pretty good. I don't yeah. know exactly in what world people think you can apply. You can like. Uh, work those two cards together, but no, uh, whatever. Really different. But hey, they both care about the graveyard, right? <laughs> yeah, they both are creatures that have a converted mana cost of two and it's a green and one. Yeah. Oh man, that was fun, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I, I know that that takes a little bit of research and digging to, yeah. to pull off, so that's cool. I, I, I always was, enjoy I that was, segment. I was at work getting paid while putting this together. So. Oh man, you're going to get fired if your boss ever listens to your podcast. Good point. Uh, <laughs> but the bar started so high we like destroyed the first few yeah i mean i i tried to pick all cards that are fairly knowable like i could have i could have hit some real obscure stuff obviously well yeah, i can't but... go with skyreach manta if we had done this thing six months ago you wouldn't have had that in there that's, yeah that's probably not. not yeah i do i do i did love skyreach manta back it then. was a trap in original mirrodin though oh man but i loved that deck <laughs> you <laughs> loved the trap I like the what's the card that had the sunburst that added mana? That was that was the card. Oh, the prism. And tap prism. Yeah. yeah. Is that card? Is that card in our? Get a skyreach mana for five on turn three. Yeah. Oh. Hell yeah! Live in the dream. <laughs> as soon as fifth dawn came out, um, as we we used to play so much Friday Night Magic, and we used to just just build every effing deck. I remember we built uh, like a bringers deck. <laughs> there was just like four Pentap Prism, four Channel of the Sun, like eighteen bringers. <laughs> like it was never good, but it was just like if the sixth person you knew show up to Friday Magic and they needed a deck, you're like, oh, here, play this thing. It's real fun. <laughs> That's a Timmy dream right there. It's a Larry B dream. <laughs> The the problem is, like, you had no control over which bringer was in your opener, so you would just like randomly get the red one and it wouldn't do anything. Yeah, that's a tough one. You need the blue and the black ones were the winners. Yeah, what did the black one do? Was it like tutor every turn? Yeah, it was vamp tutor every turn. Jeez. So it just started the chain. Yeah, just get all the bringers. Just aggressively mulligated to your black bringer. And the problem was that you like you had to run like four oxidize, four telgelod justice, and a bunch of other garbage (laughs) to not to not lose to affinity. And you probably still lost to Affinity anyway. Yeah, you couldn't really activate the Black Bringer that many times. Like, you really just... It was really all about the Blue Bringer, because that led you to draw all your oxidizes. Well, I'm excited that uh, we had you on here for this episode of East-West Mirrodin cast. But... Yeah, it uh, did not turn out the way we expected it, but that's what we all get for not drafting M14. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, uh, I would apologize to the listeners, but I don't feel like I need to apologize for not playing Corset Limited. Eh, Limited. Um, but we'll, we'll have, uh, I'll get some drafts in now that it's online and, uh, next episode we'll have some pick cards and, and all that fun stuff. Um, I can talk about, uh, Rise Limited if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love that. I don't know if everybody else would love that, but probably not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, do you want to plug your podcast and such? 
I might as well. I mean, I didn't come all the way down here to just hang out and talk, I guess. <laughs> Jeff and I were talking about how you should have just come over to my house or something, but... Uh, yeah, that also would have been funny. But then I could have answered the door for you. Uh, <laughs> hey, go see who that is. <laughs> I would have been like, hey, that's my car. Leave me alone. We're doing important work in here. <laughs> oh, man. If that, I, now I have to leave that part in. You, you subtly... Influenced my decision to not edit that out by oh, de- oh definitely by coming oh, back to I it planned it perfectly plus we can like kind of hear in the background people talking like oh, kind of wanted to like shut up and hear what it was because I was I was fully expecting ranting hippie neighbor yeah it was just bad because the door was open and she was like she, like she didn't knock she was just saying hello hello <laughs> and meanwhile she like hears me talking I'm sure because I'm talking to you guys on Skype. <laughs> And, oh, that God. man is obviously in there having a conversation with other men. They're all awake and around. Yeah, well, it's not like... I mean, I have headphones on, so it's like I'm just talking to no one. <laughs> Maybe she thought the TV was on or something. Who the fuck knows? It all depends on how old she is. I mean, if she's aware of the internet, she probably just thought you were playing, like, World of Warcraft or something. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. So, yes. Back to the Magic uh, Box. Tell us more. Tell I will tell you more. So, uh, a ways back, I felt like I really wanted to get into the concept of doing a live interactive call-in podcast. Which um, one of these days, for you guys listener, when you guys hit you know 100 episodes old or something, you should look into because it was a lot of fun doing on Monday Night Magic back in the day. And nowadays, with the new, you know, we've got we've got the technology, we can make it happen. Uh, people I knew convinced me that you should just have a live stream, just go on Twitch and uh, record your podcast live. Uh, try to integrate a little more on the graphic side so people don't just stare at your ugly faces for two hours. Uh, which we're, we're, we're battling a little bit. But every week, usually uh, between Tuesday and Wednesday, in the late, late nights on the Pacific time, because we're so busy, uh, my good friend Kyle Ack and I are streaming on twitch.tv forward slash Ekamon, uh, our videocast podcast live chat in communicate show called The Magic Box, which is about uh, the cube, the powered cube that we play, we draft, we run a league for, we argue about, uh, that's where all, most of our magicking comes because we're just busy slash lazy slash lovers of the game. And as much as it's nice to pantslessly draft MTGO all night, uh, it's much more economically efficient to just uh, come together and cube every week. So check that out if you're at all interested in cube. Even if you're a, a hardened cube uh, owner and, and staunch in your beliefs, we have some excellent resources, I believe, there as far as our own lists, our tapped out list. Uh, we have a skeleton cube list for players looking to get into a new cube or start from scratch or what those kind of things would look like. All in all, it's a very useful resource. And then on the podcast every week, we do interactive stuff like, you know, kind of what the pick scenarios or, uh, again, like we have some cards in a draft. How do we change our evaluation? And ultimately, it boils down to uh, arguing about stuff and X saying the phrase, you know, about 200 times. So. <laughs> Once a week, feel free to play the drinking game, and you'll be passed out in no time. So uh, that is the short version of the plug. You should definitely follow me on Twitter, at Tristan Gregson. I say useful things from time to time and funny things uh, with less frequency, but they also exist. Uh, and again, thanks thanks my, my local crew. I'm so glad that um, magic in our neck of the woods has been strong enough to inspire uh, people like you that are impassioned enough about the game to take the next level because I felt like I was playing in that area for a really long time and it was just uh, a lot of a lot of casual people, but you guys have really come around and carved out your own piece of the community and uh, I love what you're doing. Thanks, awesome. man. I, I, yeah. I do want to say one of the things I really like about the Magic Box is that while you do have your own cube, you spend a lot of time talking about cards that aren't in your cube, which I feel like is a trap for a lot of other people who, when they're 
doing cube based content is they focus only on the cards that they have in their lists, you know. Yeah. And the, to go ahead, Jeff. I was just gonna say the the person who writes the cube articles for Channel Fireball now, he writes about his cube, which is not a singleton cube, and it's such a worthless <laughs> review when it's not singleton because that's what pretty much everyone plays except this guy. So it's like, why why do I want to hear about what you have to say about your non-singleton cube that's, like, completely different in every way. But. Well, every cube is different, and that's the point. Is like, if you're going to talk about cube, you have to be a little more abstract and talk just about, like, specific situations, like your guys' uh, scenarios that you do. And um, I don't know, I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, it's 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 hard because we play with the same 700 cards every week. So it's it and it's the 700 that I love the most. So you know the emails, the questions, the tweets that you get the most are always like, oh, look at my cube. What do you think? And it's like the blanket answer is always like, sure, that's nice. Uh, I would but you're probably, doing it wrong. <laughs> I would probably be like, you know, take out like these 150 cards, like add in these 300 from my list, and then you have a pretty awesome cube. But that would just be my list, and so I never like try to dispense that information. Instead, I really hope that we can just kind of like talk about the bigger picture things and and that's where a lot of the fun comes into and i think that people that are looking into building a cube don't often stop and think about and aren't necessarily that's not necessarily their cup of tea but other people it really is and they don't even know it where it's like you get to create a set from the ground up you get to determine which kind of rabbit holes there are and which cool interactions get to take place in your cube and your environment and for many people it's the closest we'll ever get to designing our own magic set so that exercise is ongoing all the time and is a lot of fun for someone like myself who daydreams about making magic cards and is always like, I could have made that set better or I know what this was missing or I want to put these things in these holes in these sets and make for a better experience. So a lot of people who are maybe turned off by cubing because it's like, oh, it's so expensive or I don't have a deep enough collection or my card knowledge isn't deep enough or I don't trust five people touching my shit. Uh, it's just kind of this slow-moving process towards becoming more... Um, knowledgeable at all of those things, and then eventually you'll just have the most fun you can ever have because I, there isn't a better limited format ever. As as much as like Rise of the Eldrazi and Imistrad can come really really close, it's because it has all these other avenues you can explore and do all these things. And that's not even touching on the amazing history and, and the love we have of the game so much. And to me, cards like Juzam Dijin are just they're going to hang on there until the last possible second in the queue because I I love it when people cast an attack and maybe even win a game with that guy. Yeah, I'm going to use uh, this as a chance to segue into something that uh, Jeff and I, a while ago, and it might have even been like two years ago at this point, we <laughs> tried designing our own custom set specifically for the purpose of drafting it. Like, we just call it the East-West Draftcast custom set. Um, and we talked about it on the podcast, usually at the end of episodes, and... Uh, it kind of petered out. We were we were sourcing a lot of the inspiration and a lot of the mechanics from listeners, and it got to be a little too hard to stay focused and get it finished. Uh, whereas, like with a cube, you can kind of do that yourself. Like you can pick all the cards you want, and it's and you're drawing from a, a pool of known resources, right? So when you're using eight people to try and design a custom set for uh, like for, of all brand new cards that's really challenging to keep everyone focused and to get it done. Um, long story short, Jeff and I are going to start working on that again. And uh, just for the listeners, um, we're probably not going to talk about it on the podcast, but we are going to start updating some uh, like Google Docs online. And I'll, and I'll post those links when we're close. We might record an episode here or there about that. And uh, 
this is just like a subtle plug for getting back on that train. It's not really totally relevant to this episode, but just to let everyone know that um, we're going to try and finish it. And it's just going to be Jeff and I, and we're, we're kind of, we're getting excited about it again. Now, oh, now yeah. I would have assumed that one of the hangups would have been something like determining what commons and commons and rares were, uh, going through the process of like physically printing it to then play with it. Uh, have you, we'll get you there. Have you That'll be a hang that stage? That's no. the biggest hurdle eventually, I think, is actually figuring out how to print all the cards and then actually make packs out of it. I have a feeling it might just have to be, like, I don't want it to be just a singleton cube style format. Like, I'd like to be able to have some redundancy, but I don't know. It might just be something where we have to, like, draft it on tapped out somehow and then go from there. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to implement that, but the design, I think, is more, like, actually designing a set uh for our own purposes, I guess, and and seeing how it works. Yeah, because making, you know, the, as far as, like, actual set design goes, there's obviously a huge difference between commons and commons, rares and mythics. And, um, you know, some of the, the more in-depth cube philosophy is about understanding where to put redundancy so cards act as commons and commons and rares versus rares and mythics. Uh, so it seems like in, in set creation... A lot of the hurdles that I've heard from people trying to do it on their own is, well, not only do I have to make cards at each of those levels, but then if I was ever going to actually play with it, I have to know how to kind of create my own print runs so much so I don't open a pack with, like, four copies of the same Grizzly Bear-type card in my own set versus, you know, just, like, 15 different rares. Yeah, stop trying to discourage us. I'm not trying to discourage <laughs> you. I, uh, I was just but wondering... Least... I have ideas on how to get by that kind of thing, but... I don't I mean, know. What will we'll ultimately end up happening is one of you guys will have to like sit out from the first draft and like seed all the packs properly so that it plays well, and you'll have to like get your fix through like observing everyone else interacting with your set. Oh, uh, I will get my fix that way <laughs> because you know I, is, as as much like as I've tried much. to like <laughs> as I've tried to like seed packs in cube and work with color balance and try to get a better understanding of card distribution. I've had to do a lot of times where I've just had to like kind of like set up the. Uh, the, the, the duck blind and watch people play and kind of see how that works for me. And at the end of the day, I was like, ah, I should have been in there in the trenches working with these things myself. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, but with that said, should we move towards wrapping this stuff up? You've already told people how they can reach you, TSG. Um, if you want to get a hold of Jeff or I, uh, we're both on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at EWDraftCast. Uh, if you are interested in baseball or football or sports in general i have a personal twitter account it's at greg sauce and that's like i do some fantasy sports writing and that's mostly what i post about on the uh the greg sauce account um jeff what what are you on twitter i am jeff ewdc i post once every year i think <laughs> uh have you done it I, this year yet i just had I, I actually before. actually i'd like to plug it right now uh Ben Stark wrote a, a really great limited article that I that I plugged on Twitter, and uh, it's uh, I don't know what when he did it, but it was like a week ago, and it was really good. So go ahead and read it if you haven't. Was that his drafting the hard way article? Yeah, that was a that was a good article. I yeah, thought. that was solid. Yeah, it's it's hard to write about limited, I think, for a lot of these guys. I mean, probably not for him because he's like the limited expert, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I mean he. I think that's what he likes to do is play limited. Yeah. I, I would consider him guru. Yeah. Guru. Yeah. A little more um, than Jordy Tate status. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you can also email us. Our email address is eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. 
You can check out eastwestdraftcast.com, which is our website. We post all of our episodes up on there before they go on MTGCast, but uh, get them however you like. And uh, am I missing anything? Oh, yeah, we can. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for us on there or type in facebook.com backslash EWDraftCast. What kind of exciting posts can we expect to find there? Uh, Facebook, we will occasionally post just kind of updates about the podcast. We will sometimes throw some uh, content related to uh, episodes. Like we have a segment called What Will Wheel where we'll look at like uh, an opening pack and like a pick one pack one situation and we'll try to guess what cards are going to come back on the wheel and uh we'll post the photos for those on the Facebook post on the Facebook page and uh even if you don't listen to the episode you can at least check that out and say like oh hey like I think that this card and this card and this card will wheel um that's that's a that's a fun one especially for cube actually that's one of my favorite uh cube related segments because figuring out like what's going to come back out of like a powered cube pack it's it's impossible <laughs> You can usually get, like, two or three of them, but yeah. guessing all, what is it, all seven? Like, good luck. Yeah. All right, uh, anything else to plug or say from either of you guys? No, what, uh, what, when do we expect you guys back? What, what, uh, when's the next episode? We kind of got onto a schedule of, like, a twice a month or once every two weeks schedule going. Um, I know Jeff's busy because he's about to get married, so... I'm not going to make any promises as to when we can next get on there. But now that I'm up and running at the new house, I might try and do uh, definitely at least every two weeks, whether it's with Jeff or with a guest. And uh, if not, um, maybe even more often than that, if I can swing it. Um, and like I said, I'm going to try to either start recording more draft videos or streaming a little bit now that I have a reliable Internet service. So I don't know. Just keep keep a lookout. And that's that's a good reason to stay up to date with us on Twitter, on Facebook, on the website, because all that stuff will be posted in one form or another uh, on those avenues. And now, yeah. I don't uh, I don't know if 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 Jeff has a very subdued nuptial type ceremony, but I, I like how as an observer, it seemed like the whole like Jeff's getting married angle got stomped over. Greg got a new house. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've got, I've got a new house. I've got the bee's knees. Shit's going down at my place. Oh, by the way, Jeff, he's just going to get married soon. Don't worry about that. Uh, it's so. kind of – we're going to Scotland to get married. It's going to be kind of a big deal. And and I'm also <laughs> having a wedding reception in California a month later. So That is pretty intense. And Jeff lives yeah. in Florida, mind you. So, like, neither of these things are, like, in his hometown at the at the time we are recording this. So I, It's starting to get insane. It's in less than a month is the wedding. So, so do you have very emboldened family members that are taking care of all of the uh, decisions and organization that goes into this process? Uh, my my girlfriend's parents have been helping a bit. So you you like got a girlfriend to help your fiance make this shit happen? Oh, <laughs> you know what? Well I played. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish I could have done the same thing because I could have used more women that that really cared to make the wedding thing happen. I felt like I felt like I got a second job when I had to plan a wedding because my now wife was like pretty. I wouldn't say indifferent, but she was very much like I don't know, just make a choice. And I was like, you can't be the dude in this situation. That's my job. <laughs> We're supposed to kind of both be like, I don't know what color shit's supposed to be. Like, pick one. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. my and, my. And, no, you're in Florida, thing. trying to get married in another uh, in Europe to then fly a thousandy more miles to come back to California and celebrate with your friends. That's correct. <laughs> it's gonna be that awesome. Sounds great. Greg's actually coming to both, so yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. I so there will be a bit of a hiatus for the cast, unless you guys are gonna go on location from Scotland. I'm thinking about it, to be honest. Really? Well, I mean, just like, I don't know, record. 
record like a little half hour throwaway episode in a hotel room or something, you know? All right, sure. I might be sorry. I don't want to. I don't, you guys with your language. Screw that. Get uh, get the store locator. Find you a store in Scotland. Bust in and be like East West Draftcast on location. Let's talk magic. Taking there's, over this place. There's another limited uh, podcast, and I can't remember what they're called right now. But they, I think they are Scottish or British or. And I I sound like an asshole because I don't. <laughs> like I, I would like, need to listen to it to find out, but. I, I like, can t- generally let's tell just the let's just assume that Jeff's soon-to-be wife doesn't exactly want him to be running around recording magic content on their you know wedding weekend or whatever. That's not stopping you, Greg, from doing a little background research, getting your ass into a pub where I'm sure they hold Friday Night Magic, and getting some spectacular content from your guys for your guys as listeners. Yeah, I'll also have to bring a little hand recorder with me, a la Chewy. Man, I I don't know how people record without like a big-ass quality microphone sitting on a desk in front of a giant computer, because this is the only way I know how to do it, but I don't know. I'll do, just, if, you get one of those, uh, if you get one of those H4 Zoom recorders, which is pretty much like the industry standard, it gets really excellent quality in the field. You can go a really narrow uh, depth of field on those things, and you can really, you can record quality conversations. I mean, you know, I don't know if you necessarily want to uh, spend your Jeff wedding present money on that for yourself. No, uh, I'm just going to get that for Jeff. Yeah, exactly. You'd be like, here, I got you this for you and the missus, and I also put some content on it for us later. Go, I home, actually, and edit, go home and I, edit that for me. I bought one of those in college, uh, and Courtney Courtney made me take it back. Oh. <laughs> I, I bought it for my for music, actually, but or, like, actually for sound design, but I don't know. They're expensive, so, so uh, they tend to, I don't know. I, I didn't end up having it. Just put one on your registry, dude. We'll be good. <laughs> uh, that's cool. We actually don't really have a registry, but... Uh, I'm just messing with you. All right. Well, this episode has been great. Thanks again, uh, Tristan, for joining us, and hopefully we'll have you on again sometime in the in the not-so-distant future. And yeah, until- we'll talk fantasy football stats in a few months. It'll be great. We'll apply it to magic. Um, we-, <laughs> we actually had a fantasy football episode last year, I think. So where we, we, yeah, we tried to correlate magic to fantasy football. It was one of our not as good episodes, I think. But. <laughs> well, I, I mentioned the Venn diagram of sports and magic earlier. I, I think you're probably touching on it again. Uh, we, about, we were trying to convince people to play fantasy football, I think. Interesting. You should just convince them to watch the league, and that'll go a long way. That's true. That's, yeah, that show is not quite representative enough of like what playing fantasy sports is actually like. I, but I can't, it's funny. It's kind of funny. Oh, man. Rafi is the best. <laughs> anyway. All right. You guys like that show more than I do. Maybe it's because I am such a fantasy nut. But... You're so deep in the fantasy football trench, you almost find it insulting. Yeah, it, that's a little bit of it, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. You take bad. it seriously. As where I am on the outside looking at the guys I know that play fantasy football being like, shouldn't we just be watching games, drinking beer, and making fun of each other? Like, isn't yeah. that what this is all about? There are some magic players who like get really deep into poker. I'm one of those people with fantasy sports where like I like spend way too much time on it. Like my goal is to like win money when I play and yeah, it, like seeing that show just kind of it kind of trivializes the whole thing and I take that personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you've kind of you put it all in a nutshell for us. Exactly. Yeah. Don't mess with Greg's serious uh, fantasy sports. Speaking of which, if you want to, uh, I'm going to plug one more thing. If you want to, if you are interested in fantasy sports and you want to read uh, any of the stuff I write about that, I write for thefakebaseball.com and thefakefootball.com. Uh, and I poured it over something from Magic 2, uh, both of those, which is draft videos. And um, I should have another 
uh, fake football draft video coming up within the next couple weeks. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to have time to record it, but I'm definitely going to record one soon. Cool. So there you go. All this, all, if I hadn't shown up, you guys wouldn't have had 20 extra minutes of the life and times of Jeff and Greg, which I'm sure all your listeners are very interested in. I had no idea there was a Scotland trip coming up in the near future. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how we do it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to kind of just talk about this stuff at the end of the episode. And I do feel it's better than like, uh, never mind. Uh, we, we could have had a, a much worse conversation, let me put it that way. <laughs> or a much less interesting one, I think. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And, uh, thanks again to you, Tristan. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk at you soon, one way or another. Draft out! <laughs>